everybody. This is Stephanie Rupert. Thank you for tuning in to the Meaning of Everything podcast, where we attempt to think deeply about what it means to be human in order to transform our lives and our communities for the better. Today is episode 13. I have on Carolyn Mattis, and we discuss new atheism, atheism in today's political landscape, anti-feminism, and how all of this sort of comes together. So happy January. It's very exciting to be in 2019, or it will be. I'm recording this early. I actually, just a couple of weeks ago, it was mid-November, and I went to a conference for scholars of religion. And it's one of the biggest conferences that happens in the world. 10,000 people go. They descend on Denver this year. And it was a really, really fantastic time. Aside from including, especially perhaps because uh, many of the attendees were high the whole time because it's Colorado. That was really fun. Also very, very productive. And one, my strategy there, I was there to meet people to bring onto this podcast. And I, so I spent a lot of time seeking out people who have really great, deep ideas, complex ideas about what it means to be human, about our existential situation, about our religiosity, about science, about politics, about culture. And I sought out people who had these great ideas and also, of course, who were great speakers. And I was really successful. So the next several months of the podcast, hopefully, uh, at least the plan is that it will be really exciting, really fulfilling. Uh, all at the same time, we'll have guests to talk about Serena Williams and Colin Kaepernick and Black bodies in athletic space, which is really interesting. A lot of the political landscape, talking about Steve Bannon and Donald Trump and uh, religion in America today, how it all ties together, uh, adventure sports and hip hop culture and how these are religious. Lots of interesting stuff like that. So I'm super excited. Uh, today, I'm bringing on Caroline, who uh, gave a talk, a really great talk on atheism in, in the West today and how it has become sort of co-opted or it has moved into, it has morphed into an anti-feminist movement, anti-religious, anti-feminist, all these uh, different sorts of things and really fascinating. Uh, and so I'm really excited to have Caroline on. Caroline is, um, to read you a little bit about her, she is currently a doctoral student in the Religion in the Americas subfield at Princeton University, where her work focuses on contemporary American religious groups' media use. She is also the news editor and social media manager at the Harvard Religious Literacy Project. And this is because she did her master's work at Harvard. She has continued doing that while she is doing her doctoral work at Princeton and she's brilliant. I'm super excited to have her on. I actually already recorded the episode with her and now I'm doing her intro afterwards. Uh, so I already know I have the foreknowledge that it's a really, really great chat, really enlightening, really exciting. I learned a lot, which is really, really fun. Uh, do I have any notes for you otherwise? Not particularly. Uh, you can, of course, as ever, you can find this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on pretty much any app. And if you can't find it on an app that you want, please send me an email and I will find a way to get it on that app. You can email me at tmoeverything at gmail.com. 
This is also the email address that you can use if you decide that you want to leave a review for the podcast, which by the way, would deeply indebt me to you. You know, I, I check the downloads and the statistics and the reviews and the ratings every day because it's enormously important for your visibility and your ability to attract more listeners, uh, all this sort of stuff. Uh, your ratings and reviews are, are really important. So if you happen to drop me one, I will memorialize you. I will etch your little nickname and what you say in my brain. And I will be grateful for you to the end of time. If you do that, I am giving books away to people who do it. I announce the winners on the Thursday X episodes of the podcast, uh, which, uh, which will be in a few days. So that's really exciting. And also that's TMO everything at gmail.com is where you, where you send your screenshot of your review. So that's, that's all that stuff. And now I will uh, bring on Caroline and we'll get to chatting about all things atheism, how atheistic movements get started, what it all looks like, options for atheists in the world today, whether atheism is rational uh, and how it's related to our different political and social movements. It's all very fascinating. So um, here we go. I'll bring her on. Welcome, Caroline. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I was just um, talking about how excited I was to encounter your work a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, it was exciting to kind of reveal that work to the wider world. And um, I think it generated some interesting conversations, which is exciting and gratifying. Good, that's good. Do you mean, so this, uh, do you mean specifically at the AAR conference? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think something that's, that's just true of anyone who studies religion is um, sometimes it feels like your work is incredibly relevant to the world today. And sometimes it feels like you're the only one who thinks so. Um, and so it's really nice when people actually um, show interest in what you're working on. Um, and I think that the topic of, of the new atheist is actually interesting to people and seems relevant and seems related to um, a number of other just kind of generally interesting cultural issues. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about, you study a lot more than just new atheism. Can you tell us about what you, what you do? Yeah, so um, I am in the Religion in the Americas department at Princeton, and that means that basically I prepare to be what they call an Americanist, which means I study <laughs> religion in the Americas broadly. Um, my interest is 20th and 21st century um, American religious groups. Um, specifically how those groups use media to do kind of the work of value formation, um, whether explicit or implicit. Mm. Um, so a lot of my work focuses on evangelicalism um, and how has kind of the formation of the evangelicalism we know now um, been shaped through different evangelical magazines, podcasts, um, books, conferences, etc. Um, and so what led me to this interest in new atheism was just the sense that like online culture um, isn't really like plumbed enough as a source of value formation. Um, and I think that the new atheists are really doing that. Um, so yeah, I, I just decided to see what was out there. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because the, so the new atheist movement kind of kicked off around 2004-ish mm -hmm. when Sam Harris published The End of Faith and, um, 
and basically it was an attack on Islam and religion as a container for Islam in the wake of of 9-11 basically and then there were many other people chiming in Dan, um, Daniel Dennett published a article in the New York Times arguing that people who are atheists are quote-unquote brights like they created a new identity for themselves called brights which is hysterical I mean hysterical <laughs> and anyway so so this all got started but back then new atheism was about these few figures and their books Mm-hmm. And we've sort of seen over the course of maybe the last eight, five to eight years, the migration of this atheistic movement from being something that was kind of like happening in the New York Times to now happening on like 4chan boards. <laughs> yes. Really. Yeah, that's that. Um, okay, so to rewind a little bit before we get to 4chan. Um, so what is, there's there's not... Atheism has changed shape over the course of history a lot, right? So what is it that's, in your opinion, I have opinions, what is it that's like, quote unquote, new about atheism today? And what is the shape that it's sort of taking within our political discourse? Yeah. Question, um, I know. <laughs> no, that's, it's a fair question. Um, so if you kind of track debates about anti-theism, atheism, secularism, agnosticism, and obviously those all kind of mean slightly different things, but if you kind of track debates between um, people who don't believe in the faith of the day and people who do, they've always been contentious, they've always been sarcastic, um, they've, they've often been sensationalist. Um, so in some ways, like what we're seeing in the new atheist is not new at all, um, but I think for me what makes it it knew is the advent of this type of atheism kind of coterminously with the rise of internet culture. Mm. Um, So not only are people publishing books and it's exciting and we're talking about it, which has been kind of how atheist discourse in the West has always gone, right? Someone publishes a book or a tract and everyone's like, oh my God, wow, I can't believe he said that. So interesting. Um, (laughs) But now... (laughs) But now, like, regular people have recourse to, like, talk back um, Mm -hmm. or to or to engage with those ideas and say, hey, I think this is really smart. Hey, um, he's making some good points. And then that discourse continues between just regular individuals and groups on the Internet. Um, So I don't think it's any um, I don't think it's any accident that kind of the nucleus of the um, new atheist movement is places that are like really democratic, democratic platforms like Reddit and 4chan. I mean, democratic platforms, just in the sense that like <laughs> anyone can, can technically participate in them. That's interesting. So I feel like there have something that has, that I don't know if it has occurred in other movements before, and maybe this is a part of what makes it unique is new atheism being something that happens on the internet has been like internetized and often that means it falls into the culture of being made into memes and being leveraged as an emotional weapon and uh this these sort of emotional effective weapons i think they do originate in the thinkers of the new atheist movement right so there was this um issue with sam harris who again is a new atheist and 
he, somebody asked him why there weren't a lot of women in the new atheist movement. And he said something like, it's just not appealing. There's not enough estrogen kind of stuff mm-hmm. in atheism. Like, I don't know, implying that women are too wishy-washy or emotional to really like get the rational thrust of new atheism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it originates with them, but this kind of atheism has become anti-feminist in, in yeah. a sense. Right. But that, that's kind of, a, in my reading, that's kind of new. I mean, well, people have always been anti-feminist throughout history, so it's a little hard to sus- to tease that out. But I find in this new atheism, like a very interesting combination between what we would quote unquote normally tr- tr- associate with liberalism in the sense of we're questioning the standard, we want something new, we don't believe in gods. And then something that's also quote unquote, also very conservative. You know, yeah. so how, how did new atheism how did this develop such a such an odd mix of these progressive values and then these like these conservative or you know i don't want to taint what could be nice about conservatism but these um i don't know deeply political and angry ideas about culture yeah it's so um i think that part of it has to do with just like a vacuum of authority or a crisis of authority maybe Mm. um so in catholicism for example there's like a really strong hierarchy you know who to look to for the answers even if you end up disagreeing with them um in protestantism obviously the point of the reformation was to get away from that a little bit and give individuals some more um authority to understand the bible for themselves but like nevertheless and I think contemporary U.S. Protestant culture, there is a hierarchy still. Like you look to your pastor, you look to um, prominent online speakers, you know, pastors that you follow on Twitter or whatever. Um, you look to to others to give you answers. And I think that the new atheist movement, it obviously could have gone a number of directions, but it almost went in this like pseudo-Protestant direction of, um, you know, people in some ways really saying like, the point of, of atheism and rationality is that I'm the authority. I decide what's true and what's not, and I don't need someone else to tell me what, what that is. But then also like, ugh, in order to be a cohesive movement, which some new atheists want, we need some people kind of herding the cats, right? So um, there, there are these, these white male leaders that you know new atheists are still looking to. And, and all of this is to say that like, if rationality is your guide, right, um, and, and technically everyone can have authority as long as they are seen as rational actors, um, then it matters who we think is rational and who's not. And the idea that women are irrational is as old as civilization. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that it's new necessarily that um, people see women as irrational, but in a kind of um, in a kind of um, organization where rationality is the guiding light, then it makes sense that the group would become anti-woman because they don't think that women are rational. So um, yeah, that's that's my shot in the dark at why that happened. Yeah, that no, that's really interesting. What you were saying about the individualism in, in Protestantism. I was a diehard New Atheist for many years. You know, I was one of the people who read Richard Dawkins's book called The God Delusion in high school. 
And I had that moment that people often have in books that go viral and are um, not particularly intellectually rigorous. <laughs> and I had that moment where I said, oh man, he's articulating something I've always thought, but didn't like put into these words. Totally. Right. That's sort of the thing that often happens. In fact, there was a, a New York Times review of The End of Faith, Sam Harris's book, where uh, the woman said, he's saying all these things that all of us have thought, but didn't have the courage to say. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, but I always, I, I participated in that idea of, I was, I grew up very anti-authoritarian, you know, and, and mm-hmm. loved my own rationality and included myself in movements like this. But also I was often that woman who wanted to be one of the guys, mm-hmm. you know, and, and wanted, and then guys could be like, okay, don't worry. She's one of the cool ones. Mm-hmm. She's one of the rational ones. You can let her mm-hmm. in. Um, but I find it very interesting. Oh, do you think this atheism, do you think atheism is as appealing to women as it is to men? Um, I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think, I mean, in some ways I can only speak out of my own lived experience um, as a woman uh, who was raised, um, I was raised, you know, kind of fundamentalist Christian. Um, and in some ways, what appeals to me about, um, you know, the anti-theist movement is more the sense of awe in the natural world um, and more mm-hmm. agnosticism. Like, we don't want to be like fundamentalists who are sure they have all the right answers. Like, I don't want to be sure that I have all the right answers. Um, so there's something about, you know, kind of the hard-nosed atheist movement that's like not appealing to me at all because it's it's fundamentalist, right? Um, there, there are one or two right ways to um, understand how the world is. And if you don't, you can get out. Um, so I think in some ways it might have to do with like um, just personality types, lived experiences. Um, I think women are definitely socialized to be less... Um, aggressive in how they pose their beliefs. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's clear to me that the new atheist movement is not very appealing to women because it is kind of so blatantly anti-woman at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it kind of thrives, like it uses the currency of like mocking others. And um, I just, I don't know. It, it's not appealing to me. <laughs> so that's as much as I can basically say. But I, I think for the women that that is appealing to, the problem is, as you noted, this sense of like, you can't just be part of the movement on your own merit. You have to prove like, I'm not like those other women. I'm, I'm like the guys. Um, so it's still kind of the guys that are the gatekeeper of belonging. Which, right of every religion as well so um <laughs> it's there aren't many places women can go um where their religious or non-religious beliefs are just kind of accepted on their own merit hmm. do you think you know i i find it really interesting that you were saying that coming from the background that you did now you don't want to have all the answers you know i, I think i think that's kind of unique and i'm going to spend some more time thinking about that because i most of my work, a lot of my work is on the idea of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Um, But do you think that in this sort of move into the 
underbelly of the internet. Like new atheism, atheism is sort of taking on this almost a, almost a nihilism in a sense, right? Because you the things that you mentioned that you prefer about or find somewhat enjoyable about these kinds of agnostic views, uh, they seemed kind of positive, you know, like there was some sort of meaning that you could get from that kind of experience. And here I'm sort of seeing like a loss of meaning and a replacement with um, victimhood, you know, injustice, uh, anger, right? Sort of political issues and not, but there's not like a lot of substance. Richard Dawkins, of course, really wants people to believe in like the wonder of the natural world, but that's sort of being lost, right? It's sort of becoming a movement that's based out of anger around our social hierarchies. Yeah, I, I think that because of that kind of turn toward almost nihilism, there's a real like valorization of certain certain qualities that new atheists think they possess that others don't, mm -hmm. um, like courage, like rationality. Um, and they kind of raise up those qualities um, almost as like grit in the face of the meaninglessness of life. Mm -hmm. um, and in a similar way to how some, you know, conservative Christians see themselves as like, you know, we're denying this world um, and, and everything in it because it's, it's bad, it's sinful, it, it can't be saved. Um, and what that gives me is a sense of pride in my ability to rise above. It gives me um, this kind of moral courage to face the hard things that most people are too afraid to face. Um, so like that, that rejection of, um, the world or of like mainstream society or kind of, um, you know, popular beliefs about the afterlife or whatever, like all of that actually gives you something, you know, there's this sense like we're actually, we're rejecting all the, you know, all the comforts that everyone else is obsessed with, but actually they're getting a lot of comfort, I think, from the idea that, you know, we're better than everyone else. <laughs> we, mm. we know the truth and we're brave enough to face the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the red pill culture and how it has become associated with atheism? I would love to. <laughs> um, so I'm not even sure how I got started looking at like red pill, the red pill sub Reddit. Uh, but I think it was just like always kind of interesting to me. I've always been interested in like different manifestations of extremism and um, red pill culture strikes me as pretty extremist. So for those that aren't familiar, basically um, red pill is an overarching term for the like men's rights movement. Wait, um, can I ask a question? Sure. Does, yeah. does that come from the matrix? <laughs> it does. So it comes from this, this thing in the matrix where Neo can either, you know, take the blue pill and thus, you know, keep living the lie um, that's that's comforting, but it's not the truth about reality. Or he can take the red pill and wake up to the truth of of how this life really is. And so, basically, um, red pill has become a shorthand for men waking up to the delusion of feminism, 
um, the delusion of religion often, um, basically the delusions of mainstream society that they see as all being kind of focused on um, oppressing men and stripping men of their rights and their power and their kind of unique responsibilities. Um, so Red Pill as a, as a subreddit community is about not only talking about like, man, here's what happened to me when I woke up, when I took the red pill, commiserating about how hard it can be, but how worth it it is to really wake up to those realities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically griping about things that they now notice about women, about society that are trying to keep them down. Um, but then also talking about um, values, right? Like, um, what, do, what do we in the red pill value? How do we want to live as men? Um, so what interested me in the connection between new atheism and communities like the red pill um, was basically kind of a shared valorization of this kind of courage to buck society um, and, and rationality as the basis for doing so. Um, and what I found was both communities we're starting to um, employ this term, uh, the church of feminism. <laughs> so um, basically, like in the same way that new atheists really reject the church as and religious people as being irrational, um, as trying to push an agenda that hurts others, um, red pillars have kind of understood women or a certain kind of woman in this way, you know, irrational, um, trying to take away our power, um, setting the, the cultural agenda in ways that actually hurt and undermine men. Um, and so they have started calling feminism the church of feminism because so many of them are atheists. And so they see women as being kind of in the same category as, as religious people, um, irrational, foolish, um, trying to hurt them. Um, yeah. And what's interesting to me is how the new atheist leaders have actually kind of reincorporated these concepts back into their own brand. Mm. And how have they done that? <laughs> um, so like, for example, uh, Richard Dawkins posted this YouTube video of, um, it was like this this weird song, um, but set to a cartoon um, with you know like a guy in a turban and a like a woman who was kind of made to look, you know, like unattractive basically, um, loud mouthed, etc. Um, and they sing this little song and. <laughs> The, the Muslim guy is like, I say haram, and the feminist says, I say problematic. Um, you know, I say everything's unquranic. The woman says, you know, I say everything's triggering, or I say, you know. Um, and so it kind of, um, it, it draws connections, obviously, between um, radical Islam, as they paint it, and radical feminism, um, as both being kind of religious in nature, in terms of their irrationality, their refusal to accept other interpretations. Um, so Richard Dawkins posted that video, and he ended up taking it down because 
the woman that was portrayed was actually a real person. Um, and he didn't know that apparently it was, um, this woman named Shanti Banks who has been kind of like derided by the, um, men's rights community for years. Um, so he took down the video being like, I didn't realize it was a real person, however vile. And the however vile was like, this woman is, it's probably horrible, but you know, I don't want to be part of putting, you know, her face up on, on Twitter or whatever. And then all of his kind of, um, you know, all of the, the new atheist bros showed up in the Twitter thread being like, don't let, you know, the feminist, you know, don't let the feminists tell you what to do. Um, don't let the social justice warriors kind of scare you into taking this video down, blah, blah, blah. And, and he ended up being kind of like, yeah, I thought the video was spot on. I shouldn't have removed it, etc." So like, just the fact that one of the, the figureheads of this movement is actively posting things that not only are, are super anti-Islam, but also anti-feminist is fascinating, especially because these men purport to be feminists. Yeah. Sam Harris says he's a feminist. Richard Dawkins says he's a feminist. Um, so yeah, I mean, riddle me that, right? Yeah, something, maybe this is off topic. Um, so I work, I have a side gig. I, have, um, I work in nutrition in women's health and something that has like seriously disillusioned me over the course of the last almost 10 years I've been in that space is how much people change their tune to keep their audiences and to sell them things. And even people who I thought had the most integrity have, have you know, changed from X, Y, and Z diets or different products or whatever that they're promoting precisely because it's the thing that's going to make them money or keep their followers, you know? And so it's, I see, I would, I'm totally unsurprised, totally unsurprised that they're, that they would adopt values of their base. And of course, maybe they're like in their head secretly anyway, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm, I'm totally unsurprised that, that would create that kind of feedback loop. But that's really, that's really toxic. Cause this is coming from like literally the most toxic parts of our society or what's happening on these, you know, subterranean levels of bubbling anger, you know, and, and this idea of, of victimhood, right? Because these people are painting themselves as, as victims. Um, yeah. And, and why, how did, how is it that they do that? Right. How is it that, uh, these rational, these very rational atheists are painting themselves as victims and, and how is that? I, I, that's sort of the part that's most, it's maybe not most, but that's sort of part of it. That's so compelling, right? The victimhood angle actually draws people to it. Why? I mean, I think in some ways, people who are relatively privileged have seen rhetoric about privilege actually kind of pushing the needle in unprecedented ways in the past, you know, 10 years or so, 15 years. Um, So, you know, women actually talking about sexism, people of color talking about racism. Obviously, we've, we've all always been talking about those issues, but there's kind of more language about privilege and power happening in kind of everyday spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and I think, you know, I hope 
that that is pushing the needle, right? Um, so I think people who are relatively more privileged think like, well, hey, like I'm, my life isn't great. I have problems. Um, you know, what could this be true of me too? You know, could I be the not privileged one? Could I be the oppressed one? Um, and there's real value in our culture today uh, in, in claiming victimhood. I mean, there there is some value in that. Um, it gives you kind of a platform out of which to say like, and here's how I want it to change. Um, now, of course, it's a position of the utmost privilege to think like, oh, by claiming oppression, uh, I'll get more power. Like that's, it's it's the ultimate privilege move, but um, it's really worked. I was home over Thanksgiving and a, a male friend uh, said to me that he thinks that white men are the least prote protected class in the United States. Mm. And I was like, on what grounds do you think that? <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, no, but that it's a, it's a pervasive concept. Um, and, you know, in some ways it's born out of, of men losing um, what wasn't actually equality, but what was, um, you know, Dumb. absurdly lopsided power and privilege. Yeah. Um, and watching yourself lose privilege is, feels a lot like being oppressed, even though it's not. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to unpack that more, but I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain. I want to. Um, so something that I'm interested in is atheism that can happen that's not being co-opted by these movements, right? So, mm. are there other brands of atheism that exist in the states currently um are people sort of losing their ability or avenues by which to be healthfully atheistic mm -hmm. um and yeah i'll leave it at that so i don't i don't know i think i think that the closest thing to that um is humanism kind of the move toward toward humanism, which is, you know, the belief that humans are kind of the the end product of humanity there or of of, you know, meaning there's not something higher that we should look to. Um, and there are now humanist chaplains um, who serve, you know, all people, but not out of a specific religious belief. Um, humanism kind of kind of comes attached with certain beliefs in, you know, goodness, justice. Um, and what's nice about having something like that is that you can be explicitly anti-racist. You can be explicitly anti-sexism. Um, so I think that they're doing a little better in terms of actually um, being attentive to being open and inclusive. Um, they welcome believers and non-believers. Um, but in some ways, that's not like, it, that might not be seen as being truly atheistic because mm -hmm. it still involves this sense of like, well, we must, we must um, live by a certain code. Um, there's, there's kind of this level of meaning making we must do. And if you're an atheist and you're like, I don't, I don't need to make meaning out of some things, um, then that's maybe not a very like useful home for you. Um, but in terms of, of like organizing potential, so like a lot of the new atheist movement has been thinking about like, how do non-religious people make themselves a meaningful 
block, like voting block, um, cultural influencer. Um, and so in some ways, all these attempts to kind of pick one name, pick some charismatic leaders has been about like um, mobilizing the many non-believers in this nation who, who don't have an organizing principle. So I think like humanism is probably the closest thing to that in terms of organizing people and also being inclusive of others. Granted, a lot of the leaders of the humanist movement still white men, um, but yeah, that's the closest thing. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. And you sort of, you touched on this when we first started talking, atheism is sort of necessarily contradictory. Like it, it it's a negation. And mm -hmm. I've always found, I've actually always found the term to be horribly boring in terms of being something that's a statement about what you believe. It's like, okay, I don't believe that there's a guy in the sky coordinating everything. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what atheism is. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of bored by that position, honestly. Um, but, it, but it's a negation of a very specific idea of religion and not at all representative of what religion actually is. And so when somebody identifies as atheist, they are in a sense setting themselves up against something, but not necessarily making a positive statement about what they themselves believe other than not that. Yeah. I mean, what's hard about really um, kind of militant atheism is that it doesn't leave room for thinking about what religion actually gives people that's good. Um, right. And I don't mean like we have to, you know, think that religion is, is great or on the whole good. I mean, you don't, nobody has to believe that, but in just um, kind of um, blindly opposing all of it, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I think. Um, and as someone who knows like how much there is to not like about religion, like as someone who's lived that, I still think that there's a place for nuance to say, here's what religion did give me. Here's what it does give people. And it gives people a place to gather. It gives people um, kind of a set of defining principles for their lives. It gives people a sense of hope. Um, and it's not a good look to hate on that. Um, it's, it, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it doesn't do the necessary work or, or what I think to be necessary of just realizing how hard life is and how everyone believes in things that are not true every day. Like even people who are not believers of, in any kind of deity believe in things every day that they know are not true in order to get through the day. Like I believe that the clothes I'm wearing weren't made by child slaves and they were, and I know that, but I act like it's not true. Um, you know, this, this patterning our lives with a mix of things we know are true, things we hope are true, and things we know are not true, but we'll pretend are true, is just the human condition. So, um, yeah, I think, I think what I would love to see in an atheist movement would be kind of like, just an openness to not knowing um, an openness to kind of the inherent irrationality of 
all humans mm -hmm. and really reckoning with that, like not trying to banish it, but asking why, like, why are we like that? Why do we believe the things we believe? Um, just like a more nuanced atheist movement would be great. Yeah. I, well, I think a more nuanced, everything would be, would be <laughs> very true. That's very, um, yeah, and I think another piece that we miss when we think about religion, and often from a, you know, a quote-unquote atheistic perspective, is that religion doesn't always feel good. You know, we, we sort of walk around thinking, like, oh, everybody, people have religion to make them feel good about stuff, and that's weakness, right? We sort of associate that, and I remember always associating that with weakness, and mm -hmm. you were talking about how the new atheists would identify themselves as courageous, right? I have the courage to reject these ideas and, and what have you and live in this nihilistic space, although they probably wouldn't put it that way. But re religion, religion can be really hard in a wide variety of ways and make you suffer a lot. And often, sometimes to help you be a better person, but often just because it's a very human institution that includes negative experiences just like just like anything else you know whether that's fear of going to hell or uh, back in the day fear of being sacrificed you know all, all that sort of stuff um yeah. religion is is not a place where people are weak people are people everywhere you know yeah yeah there is a no easy way to get through life i think <laughs> um and uh no belief system that gets you out of that. So, yeah. Why do you think that we often, we tend to, and specifically this atheistic perspective, associate religion with irrationality? Is it, well, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think in part because of how the concept of rationality has formed. Um, I think like rationality as a concept has often been tied to um, individuals. So it's, it's the question of whether or not I sitting alone in a room can figure out truths just kind of from what I have within me. Um, can I, hear something and then just sit with it and figure out whether or not that's true based on what I've actually experienced um, or what my brain has within it. Um, so <clears throat> I think in some ways rationality is associated with atheism because um, you know a lot of people that rejected the Christianity of the day in the past few hundred years based it on this sense of like, I know it's not true because I know it's not true. Um, I sat with it and it doesn't comport with my understanding of the universe. Um, and, and maybe in kind of a, a different sense, it's like, I'm, I'm rational because I wait for the world to tell me what it is. And then I go based on that rather than believing what the world is and then kind of reading that into the world. Um, so, yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, I, I think there have been lots of moves to explain why Christianity, for example, is the wholly rational position. Um, and that's also been um, 
that's also been kind of a discourse too, right? Like within me, I can know that Christianity is right because I have all the faculties that can make me sure. So I, I think like rationality in itself is obviously a constructed concept as are all concepts. Um, and they have to do with being a, a brave individual. They have to do with reckoning with like the real stuff that's inside us. Um, but they also have to do with like a long history of who gets to have authority, whose brains work right, um, and whose, whose ideas and intuitions are more believable. Mm. Yeah, that's enlightening. Thank you. I also, there's this idea of faith too that I find really interesting because people often will tell scientists or new atheists, well, you have faith as well, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we often see this history, right? We have this history of Christianity becoming this institution in which your belief, your faith against evidence, quote unquote, right? Your, your belief in a, in a specific set of precepts is, is what permits your engagement, right? your inclusion within this group. And that's, that's a really powerful thing. And I think part of the reason why Christianity has become such a massive world phenomena. But anyway, do the new atheists also have a kind of faith? Or are they completely mistaken about what faith, quote unquote, might be? Hmm. That's like a good and hard question. Right. I am... I feel like I tend to, to bristle because I study religion. And so the impulse in people who study religion is always like, how is X thing actually religious? You know, mm -hmm. um, even X thing that purports to be not religious, you know, how are the new atheists religious? Yeah. Um, that's like a real, it's a really common kind of question in my field and our field, obviously. Um, so in some ways I kind of just want to be like, no, they're not really, you know, they don't have faith I don't, <laughs> um, in the way that, you know, the, that we think about it. But um, your question's getting at kind of a deeper, um, a deeper consideration of like what it means to be alive, <laughs> what it means to be a person with like limited capacity for understanding reality. And I think that what I would say is like, some new atheists wouldn't see themselves as having a limited capacity for understanding reality. And this is just kind of my one-off personal take, but I think we all do have a limited capacity to understand reality. Um, our brains can only do so much for us. Um, we don't use most of it. <laughs> um, and we all, uh, we all cobble together meaning out of our experiences. And I think that in some ways, that is faith in the sense that like we see meaning in things um and we hope that certain things certain meanings that we divine from our life um are true and we hope that some of them are not true um so i guess what's so interesting and useful about that question is um is kind of what i'm i'm thinking about when I look at atheism, which is like, what does the new atheist movement show about what we all have in common? Um, and what we have painted in religious people as being religious, that might just be thought of as kind of pieces of the human condition. 
Yes. That's what, that's what, okay. Do you want to write my dissertation for me? <laughs> absolutely not. I bet you're doing a great job. <laughs> well, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And I make that argument all the time. You know, we have all these categories about faith, about religion, about X, Y, and Z things, but they're all cultural ideas that have developed over time and they mm -hmm. totally fail to capture. And when we draw these categories, we sort of allocate people to different ways of being or different kinds of values that are essentially human, right? And so we're totally doing a disservice to who we are, I think, by sort of cutting ourselves off from various parts that we say belong to others. Um, yeah, so as I kind of mentioned, like I get so turned off by the constant questioning in religion departments, like is such and such religious, um, that it, it almost pushes me to ask the opposite question, to look at things within religion and be like, is this religious? <laughs> Um, or is this just who we are um, mm -hmm. that and we kind of read it into our religion? Um, that's a really interesting question for me because um, we don't often ask it. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways we ask it, right? Like we look at the white evangelicals that support Trump and we're like, how, in what way is this religious? And in what way is it like white supremacy? Um, but I think that that can go way deeper into like, you know, what do we consider religious? That's just who we are. Um, right. And that doesn't mean that all of us are secretly religious, but right. it means we're human. Yeah. Yeah. And, and religion and white supremacy don't have to be separate, right? Like all of these things, all of the beauty and all of the ugliness of humans can, and it does necessarily, I think, coexist. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're kind of up on time. I think that's kind of a nice note to end on, uh, unless you have anything pressing that you would like to share. No, um, it's, it's fun to talk about this stuff because I think, you know, it always just jogs really interesting reflection for me on why I study what I do and like <laughs> how I live my one human life. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's and that's why I do this podcast. My mother the other day was like, "Steph, how many people actually do you think think about these kinds of things?" I was like, eh, "I guess we're gonna find out." <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's funny is I like actively do think about these things for work, but it's only when having just like real, actual conversations with other people and talking with people about like what we actually think that I feel like I really reap the benefits of um, thinking about this stuff because it's not, it doesn't take place in a vacuum. It's the most deeply relevant set of questions to who we are. Thank you. I, I also tend to think so. You can call me anytime. <laughs> Back at you. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, do you have anywhere where you, do you tweet? Do you Insta? Do you want people to follow you? Um, it's okay. If you um, I tweet often, not about religion, um, <laughs> okay. but everyone is welcome to follow me at uh, Caroline Mattis. Okay, cool. Um, all right. And I will provide links to anything that we um, talked about in the show notes and everybody knows y'all know where to find me. I am Stephanie Ruber at everywhere, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and, and the like. This has been a really, uh, really lovely conversation and I'm really grateful, Caroline. So thanks. Thank you.